I'm Roz Rothstein, CEO of Stand With Us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Colonel Kemp was a former commander of the British forces in Afghanistan and was on the front line in some of the world's toughest hotspots for approximately 30 years. Colonel Kemp is an ardent and devoted advocate for Israel and has spoken in support of Israel multiple times in the United Nations and in forums around the world. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss what drives Colonel Kemp and his unwavering support and love for the Jewish state. Before we begin, I would like to thank you, Colonel Kemp, for not only being such an important voice for Israel and such a credible voice for Israel, but also for speaking to thousands of our students and supporters at the Stand With Us conferences, online, and at multiple Stand With Us community events. Thank you. Your work is truly heroic. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Roz. It's uh, really great to be here. So happy to have you with us. So how are you doing during the pandemic? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I think um, you know, in Britain, we've obviously had our problems, very significant problems. But fortunately, we're now beginning to emerge from a relatively strict lockdown to getting closer to normality. Let's hope that continues. Well, stay healthy. Stay healthy, please. You and your family. Uh, Richard, you are one of the most incredible, articulate defenders of Israel. Coming from your military perspective, you have so much credibility. So what is it that drives you uh, to, to stand up for Israel the way that you do, with such strength and courage? Well, before before I answer that question, I'd like to, um, to say what a pleasure and an honor it is to, to join Stand With Us TV tonight. Um, I've, I've worked with Stand With Us in the United States and in Israel and in the UK on a number of occasions. And I've always been deeply, deeply impressed by the professionalism of this organization and the real benefit that it provides to particularly students, but also many other people across the world. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, in answer to your question, I, I've spent uh, a lot of my time during my military service studying Israel, studying the IDF and visiting Israel indeed. Um, and in particular, towards the end of my time in the British Army, when I was working in the cabinet office in London, working on international terrorism, I, I experienced the immense friendship and support that the state of Israel and its military and intelligence institutions in particular gave to the UK and to the world. And I, I can't really say too highly how important Israel is for the security of the world, never mind technology, never mind all of the other things that it contributes. But, you know, every country, with very few exceptions, every country in the world has a lot to be grateful to Israel for, um, in particular for providing intelligence, which has saved lives of their citizens. And Israeli intelligence has certainly, to my positive knowledge, uh, back in the days when I was working in the government, even today, um, has saved many lives. Just one example of that, there was um, a, an Iranian-inspired plot to manufacture, to build a, an explosives factory in London back in 2015, uh, accumulating hundreds of tonnes of explosive material to manufacture bombs, part of a worldwide bombing plan that uh, Iran had using mainly using their 
Hezbollah proxies from Lebanon. Um, and that was stopped in 2015 by Israeli intelligence provided to our MI6 uh, and, and our other intelligence organizations. Um, it didn't come to light until 2019, but it was certainly something that I think we could be grateful to Israel for, and one of many examples. And I experienced this personally when I was working in the cabinet office. And since then, I've experienced the benefit, not just of intelligence, but of Israeli battlefield technology, uh, helping us to develop and, and uh, produce effective drones, uh, and also um, counter bomb technology. Bombs, uh, technology stop bombs going off and killing British soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq and elsewhere. On top of which, Israeli battlefield medical technology has saved the lives of many British and American soldiers and soldiers from around the world. Um, uh, I, I visited a, a, a young soldier who'd been seriously uh, blown up in Afghanistan, had uh, lost limbs in that uh, explosion. But he knew that he owed his life to Israel because he'd been administered a certain blood clotting agent that um, uh, stopped him from bleeding to death. And he knew that and was very grateful for that. So that these are just some examples of the reason that I feel strongly about Israel. And I see when I left the army, I saw some of the lies being told in the media, in the UN, in various international org organizations and international governments. Uh, and I was in a position as an experienced military officer and somebody who knew about Israel, I was in a position to, to use my experience to counter that uh, propaganda program that existed against Israel. It, it's been the, 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 the worst, most intense propaganda campaign in the history of the world has been directed against Israel. And so I felt it was my duty as a friend uh, who owes so much to Israel to stand up and support that wonderful country that does so much to support our countries. Thank you so much. Uh, so it seems that you saw firsthand the partnership, the potential, the real true value of this ally. And so that really, I guess, cemented what you might have already felt. Um, I'm just wondering if you could go a little bit into your pre-army sense of Israel. Did you already have a predisposition at all because of the way you were brought up? I would say yes. Um, my, my father, who who never went to Israel, as far as I know, he didn't know any Jews. Um, but he did serve in the Second World War and knew what uh, the Jewish people had gone through. And he felt very strongly that they deserved their own state. Um, and he, he, he um, every time the subject of Israel came up, he would speak strongly at home, I'm talking about now, strongly in support of Israel, which wasn't something that was that common, particularly in the late 60s and the 70s, um, when it had become much more fashionable to beat Israel. So I started off, I think, with a very much a positive attitude towards Israel. And while I was at school, I followed, because I was always going to be a soldier from the first I can remember, I followed um, the progress of the IDF and of Israel as a whole in fighting but particularly the 1967 war and the 1973 war. And I grew to, to really admire what, uh, what the IDF was capable of doing. And then when I joined the army, 
at Sandhurst and, and later, um, the, the, the IDF became perhaps the, the most studied army in the British forces. And the reason for that was because at that time, the IDF were, were effectively and, and strongly fighting armoured warfare and winning it every time. Uh, and we were preparing to fight the Russians with armoured with armored, uh, operations. And so we had a lot to learn from Israel. Subsequently, when terrorism became more prevalent, we learned a lot from them as well. So, yeah, it goes back, for me, it goes back to my childhood, the admiration for the state of Israel. So, well, uh, I'm grateful to your father uh, for making you who you are, really, for giving you those good beginnings. I want to stop for a moment and give you, uh, there's so much love coming in for you. Uh, we have shout outs from the UK, Finland, Northern Ireland, France, Canada, South Africa, several cities in the United States, including Miami, New York, Los Angeles, where you have spoken uh, to large audiences with me. You and I drove around for long hours and you were always, always such a fantastic speaker. It's unbelievable. You are really gifted uh, that you can convey everything that you feel and that you've done in this wonderful partnership that you feel so strongly with the state of Israel. We have shout outs also from Belfast, from Ireland, from Brazil, of course, from Israel. Hello, everybody there. Uh, Denmark, Cincinnati, Ohio, it goes on and on and on. Everybody loves you, Colonel Richard Kemp. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say everybody loves me. I know quite All a lot right. of people don't love me, and <laughs> including, including some in, uh, in Belfast, where I served many times. But I'm really grateful for, for the kind comments, and, and thank you. I, I would just like to say, the, the, um, I think probably one of the greatest honours I ever had in my life was addressing um, two years running live in Tel Aviv, the, the new recruits that were joining the IDF um, during the, the forthcoming year. And I was able to speak to, to a crowd of 30,000 young recruits about to join the IDF. And that was one of the, one of the greatest honours and pleasures and privileges I've had in my life, as well, of course, as speaking to Jewish audiences and other non-Jewish audiences in different parts of the world. I am quite sure it was an honor for them as well. I want to ask you about the United Nations. We know you've spoken to the United Nations several times. As a matter of fact, we have a very short video that is so powerful. We thought our audience would like to see it today. So let's watch it together. And then you can comment afterwards about what was going on that day. Mr. President, I was a British commander in Northern Ireland, Iraq and Afghanistan and have extensive experience dealing with rioting crowds whipped up by armed terrorists. I have observed the violent demonstrations on the Gaza border many times from the front lines, unlike you, Mr. Chairman, and your commission who have never been there. These are outrageous efforts to break through the fence and slaughter Jewish civilians. Hamas also set out to induce the IDF to kill Gaza civilians, to instigate global condemnation of Israel. The IDF took every possible step to avoid Palestinian casualties, but using live ammunition as a last resort was the only way they could defend their own people. The Commission grotesquely perverts this reality. I accuse this Council of handing a deliberately biased mandate to the Commission intended 
to defame Israel. I accuse this Commission of misrepresenting Hamas's actions, twisting organised violence into peaceful protest. I accuse this Commission of acting as an instrument of Hamas terrorism by falsely accusing Israel of crimes against humanity, by validating terror tactics and by inciting killing and violence. I accuse this Commission of betraying the Palestinian people by failing to condemn their Hamas oppressors who, as we meet today, are firing on genuine peaceful protesters in Gaza. I accuse this Commission of wicked prejudice against the Jewish state and its army in a manner calculated to undermine its ability to defend itself. Greater violence is planned by Hamas in a few days. Violence this Council could restrain by condemning Hamas for its murderous actions and rejecting this outrageous report. I appeal to every member state to repudiate it. If you do not, you will have the blood of Palestinians and Israelis on your hands. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being there for us. Your voice represented all of us around the world, not just Israel. So thank you. So do you have any thoughts on that day? What do you want to tell us what was going on that day? Well, you'll see I was wearing the same tie <laughs> that day. I've only got one tie, which is my regimental tie, the Royal Anglian Regiment, which is a British infantry regiment. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the, uh, the day before this, um, this event in the UN, I was in uh, Israel on the Gaza border, and I came straight from there to the United Nations to speak to this commission that was investigating the violence on the Gaza border and accused Israel of war crimes uh, because they hadn't been there. Not one member of that commission had been in anywhere near the Gaza border, hadn't seen it for themselves. They had no military expertise to inform them about what was happening and why it might have been happening, yet still they were happy to utterly and roundly condemn Israel. And many people around the world joined them. They, they had this... Um, uh, they had this idea that it was a peaceful protest taking place when, in fact, what was happening was organized, deliberately planned violence by Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, to force um, large numbers of people through the border fence and invade Israel, in fact, in very large numbers. They even had maps showing them how to get from a point on the Gaza border to the nearest Israeli villages so they could go and kill as many people as they could find and then drag the rest back, the ones they could back as prisoners. That was the reality of it. They had terrorists behind them in their, their so-called demonstrations, terrorists who, who used their weapons from time to time. And Israel, in my opinion, having seen it, and I didn't just see it from where the press were, I was able to go right the way forward, right to the front line where the snipers were, the IDF snipers, and the commanders, and the observers, and I could see it from their point of view. And I was then able to form my opinion, which I passed on to the United Nations, that terrible though it was that a lot of people were killed and wounded, uh, Israel had no choice other than to operate in this way. There's no other way they could have defended their country than the way they did. So it, I, I could bring them a measure of reality to it. I'm, I'm, I was amused to say that, I'll be amused to say that when I sat down and stopped speaking, the first person to speak after me was a Palestinian Authority ambassador who immediately stood up and said, that man has been paid $10,000 to tell those lies. 
which I pointed out that actually I wouldn't get out of bed for $10,000. But uh, <laughs> there, couldn't, there couldn't be any way in which somebody would tell the truth about uh, Israel that wasn't condemning them without being paid vast amounts of money in their eyes. Well, they, they have to find some way to hurt your credibility. Aren't you a paid mouthpiece? Oh, my God. Yeah, this is yeah. not coming from your heart. I get, I get, I get accused often of being a, a, a paid by... Mossad, and although I've got a lot of time for Mossad, I've had a lot of dealings with Mossad in the past, not so much recently. Um, I, I've got one major criticism of it, and that's that their accounts department doesn't function well because I've yet to receive a single check from Mossad. <laughs> so I want to give a quick shout out to UN Watch. Uh, we are very mindful of the amazing work that they do every single day. Hillel Neuer and uh, all the work that UN Watch does, uh, they they brought you to the United Nations more than once. They brought me to the United Nations. And uh, I have to say that it freaked me out because while I was speaking, by the way, I was stopped by someone from Egypt and then again by someone from Iran. And I was talking about Durban too. Uh, so it was, uh, they wanted to do what they want to do and they stopped me. Two times. It was freaky. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what you get. And you, as, you, as you, you mentioned your own watch, I'd also like to pay compliment to Hillel Neuer, the director of your own watch, who does such a fantastic job. And every time he speaks, also he's interrupted and stopped, as indeed I think I've spoken at the UN about four or five times now, and uh, I, I also get stopped there. So yeah, it's not, they're not just singling you out, Roz, for their treatment. When you get stopped... While you're speaking, does it bother you like walking out afterwards? Like, are you looking over your shoulder? No, not at all. I, I, I do find I anger a lot of people in the United Nations. And to me, that's a pleasure because the sort of people that get angry with what I say are the sort of people that I want to get angry. They're the people that don't know the truth, won't listen to the truth. And again, um, uh, uh, the ambassador of one of the Arab countries spoke to me afterwards, after I gave the speech uh, that, that you just showed. And she came up to me and said, Colonel Kemp, for the lies you've told here today, your soul will burn in hell for all eternity. And I have to say, I was quite flattered by that. <laughs> That's the best thing that could have happened, right? You really got her angry. So yeah. I want to give more shout outs from Nigeria, Tunisia, London in the UK, uh, Allentown, PA, San Francisco, and uh, also all over California. So everybody's with us today. I hope everybody's well, feeling good, and taking good care of yourselves during this pandemic. We'll get through it. There will be an end to this. Uh, next question. You often talk about terrorist groups that Israel is surrounded by, Hamas, Hezbollah. Uh, you talk about Israel being on the front line. Can you elaborate on that and your appreciation for Israel holding down the fort, so to speak, or being on the front line for everybody? Yeah, I think I can, first of all, sum, sum it up in the words of Jose Maria Aznar, who was the former president of Spain, um, who formed an organization of which I'm happy to be a part of called Friends of Israel Initiative, which is made up of former international statesmen from around the world. And uh, he said, if Israel goes down, we all go down. And he's right, because Israel is fighting 
an enemy that wants to destroy it. They want to destroy. They don't want to make peace with Israel. They don't want to get land concessions from Israel. They want to destroy Israel. That's their objective. Uh, we we are fighting the same enemy. We we our fight is not as intense because um, we're we're not as Israel is completely surrounded by people that that certainly once and in some cases even today still want to destroy Israel. Um, but but they are seeking to undermine our culture and way of life, and that's why British soldiers have been fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting the same type of enemy, exactly the same type of enemy that uses the same tactics as the IDF used. And that's why if you talk to a British soldier who's fought in Afghanistan or Iraq or even places like Syria and Libya, um, they, they don't have the same level of criticism for the IDF as many other people do around the world, particularly journalists and uh, international groups, because they understand what Israel has to do, has to do to uh, to prevent themselves being overwhelmed by this enemy. And they do the same thing pretty much within the areas they're operating in. And so they, they, I think, you know, certainly in the British Army, uh, my experience of speaking to people who have served or are serving today uh, almost invariably have great admiration and respect for the IDF. There are, of course, some exceptions, but most people understand um, what they're doing and why they do it. And, and the other thing I'd say in terms of Israel being on the front line is that I mentioned at the beginning the, the technology and the intelligence Israel provides us, which is part of this fight, very important part of the fight. But also their position in the Middle East where they are holding their terrain, and I don't say holding in, in terms of the fact that I mean it's under real serious threat, because while the IDF exists and while the politicians have the will to use it, it's not under threat. They will always overcome and prevail over their enemies. But while they're holding that position, they are preventing a situation um, which would which would involve the I think the, the mass collapse of many countries in the world, including Jordan. Jordan depends very heavily on Israel for its own security. Egypt the same. Other countries. And if it wasn't for that, we would see I think a mass influx of refugees, even more than we've seen up to now coming from the Middle East, escaping from their lives. Um, and, and the fact that we haven't seen that is because of what Israel's doing. So Israel is right there on the front line, protecting Europe and protecting the world. Do you see a lot of working together now between Israel and the UK? Yeah, I think increasingly so. We've never had quite the same level of military cooperation as the US has with Israel in terms of day-to-day exercising and exchange of troops and things like that. Most of the cooperation between Israel and the UK forces has been uh, at the top levels. Um, but but we saw, for example, recently, uh, last year, only last year, we saw the first time ever that um, the, uh, the, um, the Israeli Air Force deployed combat aircraft to the United Kingdom to take part in a joint exercise over here. We see frequent visits by US, by British warships to Israel. We see visits by staff colleges and other training events going out to Israel to learn what they can about the IDF and exchange ideas. So yeah, we have a we have quite a lot of cooperation between our two forces. I think probably the greatest level of cooperation we have on the security front is between our intelligence services. And I would venture to say that. Probably no two countries in the world, apart from Britain and America and Israel and America, 
enjoy anything like the same level of intelligence cooperation as Britain and Israel have. That our intelligence services work hand in glove to help both of the two countries protect each other. So question about your um, service, going back to your uh, military service, what, how did you find others and their perspective about Israel? Uh, was it generally positive? Was it negative? Was it neutral? What did you find? I think for the military, by and large, uh, British and other foreign uh, Western militaries that I've dealt with, as well as Middle Eastern militaries, there is a great deal of respect for the IDF. And there are obviously British forces very open about that, uh, and Americans even more so probably. Middle Eastern um, militaries that I've worked with, more guarded, but they still have a huge respect for the IDF. And they, of course, there is cooperation on the defense and security side between Israel and a number of other countries. And it's interesting how the perspective of Arab countries towards Israel has changed in recent years as the Arabs have realized that Israel is not a threat to them, that the major threat to them in their countries is Iran. And they know that the only really serious player, with the exception of the United States of America, that can help protect them against Iran is Israel. And that's part of the part of the overall shifting situation where we saw I was in Saudi Arabia not so long ago, where I, I spoke to a number of government officials at pretty senior level. And they were speaking extremely positively about Israel. Again, it was in private. You won't see quite the same public support given by Saudi. You will in other countries in the Middle East nowadays, increasingly. Uh, and, and as I say, underneath the radar, countries like the UAE, Saudi, other countries, other Arab countries um, are uh, you know, a, a, a very much on side to Israel and have a completely different attitude to the attitude we saw from 1948. So now I'm going to give you a challenge. Uh, we have questions from the audience and we have so many questions. We're going to try to get through as many as we can in the time that we have left. So if you wouldn't mind giving us relatively like a one minute answer to each of these questions so that we can get through as many as we can, that would be amazing. Okay. First question from Leah from Boston. What message do you have for college students today speaking up for Israel? What would you say to them? Well, you know, I love the sound of my own voice, Ross, so I'll, but I'll try and um, <laughs> keep my answers down. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I've been deeply impressed by many college students I've seen in the United States and um, in the UK and elsewhere uh, for the extent to which they have got the courage to stand up and speak against the anti-Israel hatred. And it's not an easy thing to do because they're, they're, they're really at college, university to study and get a degree. Yet they have to have increasing amounts of their energy diverted into fighting Israel's cause because there's so much anti-Israel hatred on campuses these days. And I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. But I think the, the message I would give is one, to stay strong, to be fearless, to, to stand up and speak what you know to be the truth. But in order to do that, you've really got to study the subject in great detail. Now, most students are not there to study Israel and Middle Eastern politics. And so it's an additional burden on their time. But I would say that's so important. And it's very easy if you do that to counter the throwaway lines and the prepared uh, sound bites that are given to 
many of the Israeli protest, uh, anti-Israel protesters. Uh, it's extremely important. And the, se- the only other thing I'd say, sorry, I'm probably running out of my one minute, but the other thing I would say is get as many non-Jews as you can on side to it um, because uh, there are many non-Jews at universities who who would be sympathetic towards Israel in a way they're not necessarily because if they understood the truth. So I think it's so important to, to harness the non-Jewish voice as well as the Jewish voice. And I've personally experienced being able to persuade people who have been opposed to Israel to come around to the other way of, of, of thinking. I'm glad you brought that up because we do have many students involved with Stand With Us that are also not Jewish. Uh, Christians, Muslims, uh, they, they get it and they want to be part of it and they join us. So it's uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's true. Have a question from Josh in Montreal. Historically, the British Foreign Office has always been opposed to the Jewish state in the Middle East. What has been your experience? Well, I, I would um, I would confirm that. Unfortunately, I, I think it's improving a little bit now. Um, it depends to an extent on who the foreign secretary is, who the prime minister is, etc. Um, but I think I think things are changing a little bit. But certainly, when I was working in the cabinet office, and I I I, I, I was involved in setting up the first international terrorism intelligence team in the cabinet office after nine eleven, and Obviously, the first people I wanted to go and speak to were the Israelis because they they were the leading experts on dealing with uh, Islamist terrorism. And so uh, I I, I tried to do so. And and my efforts to do that were largely frustrated initially by the Foreign Office, who didn't want this type of cooperation. Um, I managed to overcome that. And I'm happy to say that we we maintain very good working relationship with, with, with Israeli intelligence services. So, yeah, I think... You know, it's a historic thing, goes back many years. And I think I'm afraid the Foreign Office, British Foreign Office, has failed to keep up with changes in the Middle East. A part of the reason that they uh, do take a more of an anti-Israel stance is um, that they're trying to appease the Arabs. What they haven't pr- really don't seem to me to have understood is that actually the Arabs don't have, as I explained, don't have the same anti-Israel attitudes they had before. So let's hope the Foreign Office... Uh, come up to date and realize what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, from Adam in London, as a student on campus, how do I respond to someone who accuses Israel of using disproportionate force? Well, it's a very difficult one because most people who accuse Israel of war crimes and lack of proportion don't understand the laws of war, particularly as they pertain to proportionate action. And it's very clearly laid down. I would suggest you study that, look at it. It doesn't take a huge amount of effort to look at it. So you can show them by reference to the Geneva Conventions, you can show them that Israel is not acting disproportionately. But they're very they're very uh, hard often to persuade because they're talking about emotion. Um, and I think one of the most important things to bear in mind is that, and it's something that most people can see if they care to look beneath the surface, is that the people who are using disproportionate force against the Palestinians and who are abusing their human rights and who are deliberately and illegally killing them is their own leadership. So in many ways, Israel, the IDF, is is, is doing a certain amount to save the Palestinians from their own leadership, which is oppressing them and which is causing 
so much of the violence today. And I think it's really important that those of us who speak about Israel make it clear we're not we're not opposed to the Palestinians. We're not Islamophobic. We 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 understand the reality. We're opposed to the aggression of the Palestinian leadership against the state of Israel and also their aggression against their own people. A question from Michael in New York. This is fun. Would you ever consider entering UK politics? <laughs> um, I, I, I've been asked a few times about that, but I'm not sure I'm the right person to be in politics. I think uh, you, you, it tends to be problematic if you speak your mind too much. And having spent uh, most of my life working in the armed forces and seeing the reality, seeing the truth about what's going on on the ground compared to what many people would like us to think, I... I um, I, I, I don't think it would really suit me. And I, I, in particular, I don't think me being in politics would suit any political party in particular. <laughs> and that is that. Um, this is a, a kind of a dreamy question, a hope for peace. Richard, do you think there's any hope for two states, for peace with the Palestinians? What, what's your take? Well, I, I would like to say, yes, I do. Uh, and, and as I mentioned a couple of times, um, the, the relationship between Israel's traditional enemies, the Arab countries, uh, and Israel has changed a lot. And if if it was up to them, I think most of those countries would want peace. And the, the people I spoke to in Saudi Arabia, for example, would very much like a peace treaty with Israel, but they don't feel they can do it, particularly in, in light of the, uh, the, the, the voice of the average Arab in the street. Now, that that really is not the main stumbling block. The main stumbling block, as I alluded to just now, is the Palestinian leadership. And while the Palestinian leadership remains intent on the destruction of the state of Israel, I really don't think that uh, there's any prospect really for peace. I, I would hope that Israel is able to maintain sufficient control over its enemies, that the violence doesn't escalate any further than it is today and hopefully is more suppressed, which would enable... Um, people in in, uh, in Palestinian areas to have far greater freedom and far greater prosperity. I don't think, you know, I, I, many people will disagree with me. I don't think that in any way Israel is a stumbling block here. The stumbling block is the Palestinian leadership. So, Richard, we cannot wait to see you again and bring you from city to city to speak to large audiences. We cannot wait for this pandemic to finish. But meanwhile, we are so grateful to you for joining us today right here on Stand With Us Connect. Do you have anything else you'd like to tell everybody before we leave? I, I, I As I say, I love the sound of my own voice. So any chance to speak <laughs> will not be rejected by me. Uh, I'm happy to say I'm not going to speak very long. I just wanted to really to thank uh, everybody who's tuned in tonight, if that's the correct term. Um, I'd, I'd like to thank you all for listening and for your support for Stand With Us. And all I can ask you is that you, uh, all I can ask you to do is to continue supporting Stand With Us. It's such a fantastic organization. It deserves your backing, your support and your participation in their wonderful programs. So, so thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with me and thank you for supporting Stand With Us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard, uh, for joining us today. It has been really eye-opening and a pleasure to be with you. And thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time. Stay healthy.